But go ahead and grab out your Bibles and your notes if you'd like to take notes. Uh, or you can pull up the Victory Church app. We have a fill-in-the-blank version for you. Uh, if you're like me and you like fill-in-the-blank versions of notes, uh, all the verses and things we'll reference today. And most of you are on your own Wi-Fi today, so it'd be a great time to download the Victory app. I know a lot of times there is a free-for-all for all the bandwidth that's on the guest Wi-Fi. So today would be a great day to use your own bandwidth to download it. Now, I've been praying more so every week. As we move into this pandemic and as hopefully we come through this season, I've been praying every week, Lord, what are you trying to teach us in the middle of it? Lord, what are you trying to show us in the middle of this pandemic? And what am I supposed to be learning? Because I I have a lot of questions in the middle of it. I know a lot of you do. Lord, what what are we supposed to be learning? Because I want to use every season for what God wants to teach in that season. I want to be responsible for what God is trying to show us in whatever season the church is supposed to walk through. I want us to learn what God has for us. I don't want us to miss it, to get distracted because of how distracting the season might be. And I kept coming back to a thought from last year. We did a series called Roots about flourishing in the place where you're planted. Flourishing where God has placed you. But there's another verse in Hosea chapter 14. It's in verse 7. It's speaking to the children of Israel about a future time. And so it's not just about flourishing right then, but it's speaking about a time that would to come. And it says the people of Israel will again live under my protection. They will grow like the grain. They'll bloom like a vine. Now, I love the imagery in the verse because it's talking about a hope for a future time. That again, no matter what the season that they were in at the moment, whether a season of hardship or a season of drought, no matter what it was, that it would result in flourishing again. That it would bloom. And I don't know about you, but I've been praying in this pandemic, not just this one tough week, but all throughout. Lord, would you grow me? Lord, would you would you teach me? Lord, because I believe this would be a season of growth. And my prayer is on the other side of this quarantine that we bloom. That on the other side of this pandemic that we begin to bloom. And many of us are praying prayers like that. We ask God, would you grow me? God, would you stretch me? Lord, would you promote me? God, would you give me more influence? And we pray for those things because we want to have a greater impact on the world around us. But very rarely do we think of the scenario and the process that it takes for God to grow us. So God says, look, I'm going to take those seeds of greatness that I've placed inside of you that I've created you for. I'm going to create those things and those things that I've made you for. I'm going to take those seeds, but I'm going to bury them in an environment that would cause them to grow. And typically when we get buried in that environment, then we begin to pray prayers of why, God, why have you forsaken me? Why is all this dirt falling on me? Why do I feel alone? Why do I feel like maybe even you have abandoned me? Well, it's because God does care about you and that he's planted you and nothing begins to bloom unless it's first buried. Nothing begins to bloom unless it first is buried. So here's the good news. If you're feeling buried, get ready for a breakthrough because God is preparing us and God is growing us in seasons. And in seasons like this, where life is very challenging and and things are pulling at us and and things are, are pulling from every direction and we don't know what to do. And it's strange for all of us, but I believe God has something great. I really do believe that God has something great for our lives on the other side of this. As long as our perspective is correct. As long as we keep our heads on straight. So Judges chapter 6 this morning. We're going to study a guy in Judges. A guy who wasn't physically buried. But he's emotionally buried in his life. He's emotionally buried. He's living far beneath his potential. In fact, we picked the story up in Judges chapter 6. And watch this. We'll put it on the screen. It says, so Israel was reduced to starvation. By the Midianites. And so the Midianites are oppressing the children of Israel. We see this theme a lot. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. And I think that this 
scripture is interesting because I pray it's indicative of our culture. Now, I don't pray that anyone starves physically. That's why we give out so much food here at the church and bless our community uh, throughout this pandemic. But I want you to see this spiritual principle here from this verse. And that is oftentimes forms of starvation will create spiritual desperation. Forms of starvation will create it. And I believe that there are some things that are being removed from our life right now. There are some things that we usually run after. Or we usually let consume us that are being removed That God is using this season in a supernatural way to teach us spiritual desperation, to recreate some fire in our life. And so the Midianites are pressing the nation of Israel. It's where we find our guy Gideon. All right, here's the hero of the story. Gideon is a guy who didn't see any potential in himself. And so he's living far beneath it. And he has some things in his life that we'll talk about. There's some reasons he's living beneath his potential. And I think that you and I wrestle with this. As well. And then we're going to talk about what God did for him in his season of being buried because God is bringing him to a season of victory. And I believe that as we see the steps that he takes, God is doing many of the same things in our life to prepare us for the call that he has for us. All right, we go to verse 11. It says, Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Oprah. So you didn't know she was in the Bible, everybody. Which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. All right, so it's Ophrah if you read it right. All right, so Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. So the first thing we see about him, he's living beneath his potential because he's simply hiding. He's hiding from it. Gideon is living beneath the call of God on his life because he's hiding from the call of God on his life. And there are lots of things that you and I hide behind when we're called to do great things for God. There are a lot of things. Some of us, we hide behind our marriage, and we say, well, I'm not married yet, and so I, I just, I can't, you know, I, I can't go ahead and relate to all of that, or I don't have, or I've only been married for a couple of years, and so I don't have the experience, and I can't do that, or some of you are saying, I've been married a hundred years, right, and I, I just, nothing's going right in that, so I can't do the call that God has on my life. Some hide behind their kids. Some say, well, you know, I don't have kids yet, and so I can't relate to others about that, and some say, well, I got too many kids and they're just, you know, they're keeping me from doing the call that God has on my life. And they're too, or my kids are too busy, which isn't really an excuse nowadays in the culture we live in. But, or maybe it's our career. Maybe it's our career we hide behind where we say it hasn't really taken off to the place where I want it to be. And so I, I have this, this desire to get that in the right place before I can do anything for God. Or we say, well, my career is too busy or my career is too successful and I just have too many things, too many irons in the fire. And so I can't serve or make a difference. I got too much going on. And so many of us, we find these reasons, our past, our relationships. We find things that we hide behind so that we don't fulfill the call of God on our life. And Gideon is doing the same. We go to verse 12 and he says, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, mighty hero hiding in the wine press. The Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are the miracles of our ancestors that they told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Second thing we see about Gideon is that he's questioning. He's just questioning. He's questioning everything. If some of you are living beneath the potential God has for your life, because you can't wrap your mind around all that God is doing. You can't get it around. And so you're questioning. You're full of questionings, questioning everything, questioning God. And so you're full of questions and you're not actually taking any action because you're trying to figure everything out. That's where Gideon is. He has all these questions. He said, if we go back to the text, he said, look, if the Lord is with us, which I'm not even sure that he is, glowy person in the wine press, why has all this happened to us? 
And where are the miracles our ancestors told us about? God, I just, I don't understand. What, what didn't our ancestors say? And God, where are you in the midst of the coronavirus? And God, I don't understand what's going on. And Lord, I don't get this season. I don't understand. And he's got questions. And I want you to know it's okay to have questions. God's not upset when you have questions. The problem comes when you allow the questioning to keep you in a place of inactivity. When you allow the questions to keep you from fulfilling the call that God has on your life. It's okay to have questions, but they can't pollute your life to the point that you do nothing for God. And so Gideon has these questions for him. And I just want to remind you, throughout the Bible, people of faith have had questions. But it hasn't stopped them from living out the calling God has on their life. Even Jesus on the cross cried out, God, why have you forsaken me? In the garden, he cried out to the Father, Father, is there any other way? If there's any other way, but then he modeled for us in the garden, the response should be. And he says, Father, but not my will, but yours be done. See, God's not called us to understanding. He's called us to obedience. And that's a hard lesson that sometimes gets candy coated in the church. But God has not called us to understand everything, but he's called us to obedience. And sometimes you have to walk through things that are hard. And sometimes you have to make decisions that are difficult. And you're not able to see farther down the road and there's a lack of clarity. But what it means to surrender, it means to to live a life of obedience, not our will, but theirs. And this is one of those seasons that God is doing things and God is moving. And sometimes we're not able to have clarity about what it is that he's doing. This is one of those seasons. God, I don't understand completely. And maybe 10 or 15 years from now, we'll look back and say, "Okay, I see exactly what God's hand was in this situation. Or I see exactly what he was doing here. But sometimes we get confused and the toxic part of that is when we allow that confusion to keep us in a place of inactivity. Well, I can't do anything good for God because I don't understand this. And I don't understand that and I've got questions. But you've got to come to a place where you settle in your heart and you begin to realize that God is God. And he's not called us to understand but to obey. So verse 14, the Lord turned to him and he said to him, go with the strength that you have. And rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I am the least in my entire family. The last thing that he's doing that's keeping him from reaching his potential is Gideon is simply doubting. He's doubting. He's doubting the call. He's doubting himself. And many of us get trapped in that place. And we're doubting everything about our own lives. And we're saying, God, I don't understand. I'm not sure. Not only do I not understand, but I don't see what you see, God. I don't see what you see in me. I'm looking at myself, God, and I'm I'm not thinking this is going to work. Because I can see my own failures. But I want you to notice it. Jot it down if you're taking notes. Our main source of doubt is comparison. Our main source of doubt is comparison. Gideon is comparing himself to everyone around him. Verse 14, he says, I don't know how I can rescue Israel. We go back to that part. He said, I am the weakest in the tribe and I'm the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh, my entire family. What he's saying is I'm not as strong as everyone else. I'm not as wise as everyone else. I'm not as talented. I'm not as significant. I'm not as influential. God, look at my life compared to those around me. I'm not as strong as everyone else. I'm not as smart as everyone. And comparison is an incredibly toxic trap that we fall into. Moms, you're going to get on Instagram and you're going to see... You know, while you're trying to, to homeschool your kids or you're trying to, to make this thing work, or you're trying to do whatever it is and trying to do everything and they're driving you crazy. And so you're going to be on Instagram and you're going to see that perfect mom with 2.5 kids, right? And they're baking cookies in their kitchen and there's, you know, they're having everything perfect and their kids are singing worship songs and they're having everything that they have. And you're going to look at your kids and there's going to be chocolate on their face and they're wearing clothes from three days ago. And you're going to think I am a failure as a human. 
And you begin to compare yourself against every person. But I want you to see what God says to him. Because so many times we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not as good as them. And we compare ourselves against, I'm not as strong as them. I'm not as smart. Or maybe you're going to watch people who are going to their job and you lost your job. Or you're going to watch people who are going and you have to stay. Or you're trying to figure out, okay, you go and I stayed. You're saying, God, I don't understand. And I'm looking at myself and I'm not enough for what you've called me. But God says this to me. He says, go in the strength that you have. You have to settle in your heart that there is only one of you. And that God has created you specifically for the calling that he has for you. And that God has a purpose. And your purpose is not limited to your position. It's not limited to your position. No matter where it is that you are today, God sees great potential inside of you. And he saw it inside of Gideon. He said, Gideon, I've got a great plan for your life. There's a lot that I want to accomplish in your life. But you've got to open your heart for what I have for you. Verse 16, he says, in verse 15, the Lord said to him, I will be with you. And I love that phrase there that he's saying... All the other promises, Gideon, all the other things, but hang on to this one, that I will be with you. It's an amazing phrase for us. I want you to write it out, put it in your Bible, put it on your fridge, put it wherever it is that you'll see it, that the Lord is with you, that God is with you. You got to open your heart to that. He's saying, I promise you, if you'll be obedient, Gideon, you'll follow the steps that I'll be with you. I want you to know that God has a great call for your life. God has a purpose for you. That no matter where it is you find yourself, whatever situation, whatever season, God is saying, I made one of you and I have a plan for you and I created you and gifted you and I will be with you. If God is for us, who can be against us, Romans 8 says. And so God has a plan for our lives. So he comes to Gideon and says, look, you're going to lead this nation. You're going to destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. But then you see in the story, he begins to tell him, but Gideon, there's some things that we need to do in your life to prepare you for this season that's coming. In this season that you're in right now, we need to prepare you, Gideon. So watch it. Verse 25, we pick the story back up. That night, the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord, your God, here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using as fuel the wood of the Asherah pole, that you cut down. Now, I want you to understand what's happening here because we saw this same idea last month in the story of Elijah. And this is this theological word called syncretism. This is that the children of Israel hadn't turned away from Yahweh, the one true God, but that they had started to incorporate other gods. See, they arrived at the promised land and they began to say, well, God, the Yahweh, the one true God, he's the God of the hills and he's the God of the battles and he's the God of power because that's what they had seen him do to that point. But they said these new gods in this new land Baal and Asherah, they begin to say these new gods, this, these Baal and this Asherah, they begin to say that they're the gods of fertility or they're the gods of rain or the gods of crops, that they're the gods of all these other things. And they begin to say that, well, we, we've never been farmers before. And so we need to serve these gods. We begin to say we need to serve these gods. And so when they moved to Canaan, it was the first time that they actually began to be farmers. And so they introduced these new gods syncretism. They're worshiping more than one God. And I'm echoing here in the, uh, in the room, if you guys don't hear it. And God said, if you're going to make a difference, Gideon, the first thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to tear down all this garbage. First thing you're going to have to do is you're going to have to tear down all of these things. You're going to make an altar to the Lord. It's interesting, he even used the pole that he tears down. He uses the things that he tears down to make the altar. And so if we're going to make a difference in this season, if God's going to prepare us in this, you're going to have to allow God to purify you. 
In this time of preparation, in this time of feeling buried, in this time before the bloom or the victory, before any of that, we're going to have to allow God to purify. I believe this can be a season of God purifying the church. With so many things that we would normally run after, so many things that we would normally devote our life to, so many things that we would normally devote all of our time to are being, they're being taken away. And so in this time, God is purifying. And I want to remind you in Exodus 34, God says to him, never worship any other God because the Lord is a God who does not tolerate rivals. In fact, he is known for not tolerating rivals. So the reality is God is not okay with us having other things that we worship. God's not okay with us having other little G gods in our life that we say, well, we, we love the Lord, but we also send all of our time to all of these other things. He's either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. And so we need to begin to allow God to purify some things. He's purifying Gideon's life. Verse 33, we go back to the text. Soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel. You see that all throughout history. And they crossed the Jordan camping in the valley of Jezreel. And the spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. And he blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan came to him. And so now Gideon blows this horn, and he calls everyone to come and to fight. And he has this, this moment of boldness, and you begin to ask yourself, okay, why did this happen in the story? It's because the Spirit of God clothed him. It's not because all this time passed, and Gideon began to study, and Gideon began to learn all these different things. No, it says the Spirit of God came on him. Number two, God will empower you in this season. That we stand in the power of God. No one else's power, not in our own strength. But in this season, that it's God's power that rests on us. And in these 21 days of prayers, they're coming up starting today. I believe that we begin to cry out as a church for the power of God. Begin to cry out as families for the power of God. As individuals, we cry out that I want God's power to rest upon us. That we need them in the days ahead. And there's nothing else that we need, but it's the power of God. And all of that comes because of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, it says that when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll receive the power and then you'll be my witnesses. And so the power of God that comes on us to give us that boldness. You see Gideon in this story at the beginning, he's hiding in the wine press. And then a few days later, he's blowing the ram's horn and saying, come, all of Israel, come to me and fight. It's because the boldness of God came on him. It's the same with Peter in the Bible. You see Peter at the end. As Jesus' trial, you see Peter cursing out the servant girl and saying, I don't even know Jesus. And then a few days later, he stands up at Pentecost and he says, hey, you guys killed Jesus and he's raised back from the dead. And so you need to repent. And there's thousands that get saved. He's, he's clothed in the power of God. We need that boldness in our lives and we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. And so I've been praying throughout all of this because on the other side of this and the other side of all of this craziness, on the other side of this season, even in the midst of it, we are still called to be a light. We're still called to have the boldness to be a witness. And you're going to have to have the Holy Spirit to take that next step of boldness on the other side of this in faith, living the Christian life, being a witness to those around us. Some of you have the boldness part down, right? Some of you, you got the boldness, but it's for everything but the gospel. Some of you are spending all of your time, all of your effort trying to convince people of your political views or of, of everything you can think about, everything that you believe except for the gospel. And I think sometimes we divert our attention and we have that boldness come upon our life and we use it for the wrong aims. We use it for the wrong things. Let me put it this way. If someone were to see the last five things that you posted or you shared, would they know about your Jesus or would they know about your politics? There's a chance for us to be bold and it comes from the Holy Spirit. So Gideon assembles the army and then famously in chapter 7, here it is. The Lord said to Gideon, after these 30-some thousand soldiers come to him, you have too many warriors with you. 
If I let all of you fight the Midianites, then the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. And so God knows how bad we are at taking the credit. God knows how bad we are at wanting to take credit for what he does. And so he says, therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. Whoever is timid or afraid. And so Gideon has this entire army assembled. And God is like, bro, you have too many people. We got to send some of these people home. Go ahead and give a speech and tell them if they want to leave the mountain, they need to go. And so Gideon gets out there and he gives this William Wallace speech, right? Like freedom, fight. He gives this speech like, guys, you're all with me. We're going to go attack that hill. And those of you afraid, you're going home. But we're going to go attack the hill. And he gives his best chance. And then watch this, 22,000 go home. Leaving only 10,000 willing to fight. So Gideon has an army of chickens on his hand. They all leave. They're like, well, now if you put it that way, Gideon, we're just going to we're going to pack up and we're going to go home. Like it's demoralizing. But watch this. The Lord told Gideon again, like I'd, be, I'd stop going and praying if this was my life. There are still too many. Bring them down to the spring and I'll test them to determine who's going to go with you and who will not. And so they take them down and they give them this drink test. And they, they, they give Gideon the drink test to apply. And watch this in verse 6. Only 300 of the men drank from the hands. All the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. And the Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men. That's where that movie comes from, everybody. I will rescue you and give you victory over the Midianites. Send all the other ones home. I want you to know, number three, as we close, that God will prepare you. That in the season, he's purifying, he's empowering, but he's preparing That in this season, God will prepare. But the thing that's fascinating about God's preparation is that he sets us up to understand that it's him that's doing it. It sets us up to understand that it's him that's bringing the victory. He tells Gideon, I can't send you with the 33,000 because then you'll take the credit for it. You got to get the numbers down. We got to trim out too many people. Because if that happens in your life, God, you're going to think that, well, I did this or I did a good job or I gathered all the people and they, you know, brought the victory. So he says, we got to bring them out. And I wonder for how many of us the Lord is actually pruning and shaping. I wonder for how many of us the Lord is actually shaping us and preparing our lives. Help us understand what really matters. Taking out things and teaching us what is it that we actually worship. What is it that we actually value in this season? But then there's this thing of preparation. What God's saying is, look, you really don't need that relationship. And you don't need those people. And you don't need that opportunity You don't need those things. And some of you, the Lord is actually protecting. Some of you, the Lord is protecting. In fact, sometimes what feels like people's betrayal is actually God's blessing. Sometimes what feels like people letting you down or people leaving your life is actually God preparing you for the victory that he's going to bring. Because it may not, they may have gotten in the way or it may not have been the preparation that he had or they may not be the ones he wants with you when he brings the victory. Because there is a victory coming to your life. There is a breakthrough that God is calling. There is, there is a thing that he has for you to do. And so oftentimes when he prepares you, oftentimes it hurts. And oftentimes we can't quite understand. But the amazing thing of this story, Gideon has this incredible victory with those 300. It says that they surround the Midianites, just the 300 of them. They have these, these lights in jars. And they break the jars and they sound the trumpets. And they cry out the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And the Midianites turn on one another and begin to attack. And those who are left alive run away. And God secures an amazing victory for the children of Israel that day. Because of one man who at the beginning of our story was hiding, confused, messed up in a wine press. Believing he'd never make a difference in the world around him. So I believe it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in our own lives. I think on the other side of this, God wants an amazing victory. 
I think on the other side of this in this time, we have to get to a place we decide, God, I want you to purify my heart. Remind me of what really matters. I want to grow in this season. I want to learn what you have for me. I want to embrace this season of being buried because I want to embrace the presence of the Holy Spirit. God's season of preparation that he's using us and he's shaping us how we never thought possible. That God wants to use us. And even though you may feel buried, get ready for a breakthrough because I believe God wants to do something in your life. I believe God wants to use you in a way that you never thought possible. Would you bow your heads with me right now as we pray? If you're watching at home or you're in the building today, if you would just bow your heads, I want to pray that we begin to recognize the season that we're in. That we begin to recognize what God is doing in our own lives, in the life of our church, what he's preparing us for. And I would pray for power and blessing that God would touch us, that God would use us, that God would prepare us and make us a part of that. Before we pray for that, now there are some of you that are listening right now and you're far from God. And you're listening to all of this, but you're thinking, Lord, I, I want a plan for my life, but I've run from God. Or maybe you've never had a relationship with him. And maybe some of you, you've been practicing syncretism where you've served God, but you brought in all of these other gods into your life and you begin to worship them instead. And today you want to make it right. If that's you today, I just want to pray a prayer with you. Let's make some things right in our life. If that's you, I'm not going to make you stand up. I'm not going to call you out right there where you are with your family. I'm not going to do any of that. This is between you and the Lord. And so if that's you, you say, I want to have that relationship. I want to come back to God or I want to give my life to Jesus for the first time. Just pray this prayer quietly right where you are. Just say, Jesus, forgive me. For all of my sins, for all of my mistakes, I repent. I want to live for you. I ask you right now to forgive me. I believe what you did on the cross and that you rose from the dead. And I make you the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, I pray over our church as a whole, over everyone who's listening and watching today. God, I pray that you would touch every single person as we walk through difficulty. As we embrace the season that we're in, as you prepare us, as you purify us, as you empower us. God, touch us with your presence throughout these 21 days. Let us have a renewed sense of purpose that you have made us on purpose for a purpose. That you have created us and gifted us specifically to enable us to God to go after the call that you have for us. And Lord, we want to embrace all that you have in the waiting and all that you have in the preparing. That we would get ready for a breakthrough in our life. Because Lord, we know that you love us. We know that you're with us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's church said, amen and amen.